Hi, Chris. How are you? Leaving Rod, all is well here in sunny Gloucestershire. Fantastic. Similar in South Wales. Oh, I should say it's sunny. It's, I think it might rain any minute now, but there you go. Yeah, my carrot weather app is telling me expect thunderstorms till 10 o'clock tonight. So uh, we shall see. Interesting you mentioned weather apps. Every time I go to look at my weather app, and my wife does the same, I was always tell us different stories. So I just give it up and look out the window. <laughs> there is an aphorism, isn't there, that if you look out the window and you say, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And if you say, same as today, 50% of the chat time, you're going to be right. So, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite easy. I just wake up and see what it looks like in the morning. Anyway, that's enough of this tech talk. I know. Here we are. Wake from Sleep, episode 17 for the 16th of May 2022. And I think we can dash straight into the follow-up. Uh, and I've got a bit from last week, which is if you've got an Amazon streaming stick or box of some sort and you cancel Prime, what happens? Well, what happens is you just lose access to the Amazon Prime app. All the other apps continue to work on it. The box doesn't suddenly become useless. You just don't have the Prime app. That's all. Okay. Well, that sounds quite graceful. Fair enough. Yeah, it's not bad, particularly if you picked up one of the devices, you know, vaguely cheapish when occasionally they are on, on a Prime Day or something like that, then you've got a half-decent streaming stick. So, yeah. Moving on. Moving on. The, uh, on Sorry, that, I've got nothing to add. A fair, okay, uh, there, you need to remember to put something in the media section to talk about with Amazon as well, uh, which has triggered me here. But uh, yeah, the next bit of follow-up is for you, though, and it's about BMW, I think. Uh, just briefly follow up on my car. So you can tell it so that when you unlock the car with your phone that all the doors are unlocked. I said you couldn't. And um, can't seem to do it with the watch, though. You can't seem to say the watch is this person and to do this thing, which seems a bit bit odd because the watch should just do what the phone does because it knows the watch is a shared key off the phone. So why doesn't the watch just act the same as the phone, like for the driver profiles when you get in? So it seems like they're halfway there, but not quite. And then the other thing I said is the mobile doesn't open the car doors as you get near it like the the actual key can but apparently some models of bmw do do it it's a thing called digital key plus but it doesn't have it on mine but it uses the ultra wideband technology that came in the iphone 11 so i don't know whether that will come to mind because it's a relatively new model and it's like a firmware upgrade or whether that's uh i'm not getting it thing but if that came out i would definitely buy it because bmw do have a few things you can buy in store and it's got the firmware you just need to pay to unlock it if that makes sense it does make sense it seems a bit well, BMW-E, for want of a better word, that, you know, a feature that should have come out with a brand new car that is presumably the cutting edge of all their software development and all the rest of it, doesn't come with that? That seems weird. Yeah, but there's a lot of options when you buy a car. So part of me quite likes it in a way. So I bought a car, I paid for a couple of options, and I can buy a couple of options later on down the road. I'm all right with that. I'm quite calm about it. Fair enough. I mean, I guess Tesla has sort of engineered me into with the exception of a very small number of things, you get everything on the car when you get it. Other than this full self-driving and a performance upgrade, everything's just on the car. There are no additional options to take. You do get the good sound system. You do get the same screen. You do get it. So it feels a bit old school going back to nickel and diving you for this, that, and the other thing. There are a million options. Do you want carbon fiber? Do you want a black spoiler? Do you want tinted windows? Do you want special frozen paint? Do you want the M seats? Do you want this color stitching? Do you want this color trim? Do you want a dash cam? Do you want high beam assist? Do you want radar cruise control? It goes on and on and on. And on the on the very latest ones, you can get the special 50 years of M badge to go on your BMW for 300 quid. So there are a lot of options. So, a bit of trivia for you. Do you know the first car that ever offered options? I was going to say Porsche, because aren't they like renowned for it? I don't know. The 66 Ford Mustang, I think, was the was the car that offered options. Really? Yep. 
soft top, right. hard top, leather seats, not leather seats, all that stuff. We have Ford to, to blame for that. And here we are many years later. Yeah, I'm wondering if you get your 50 years car. of M badge. Yeah, exactly. It's bonkers. Anyway, moving on. So that, that, that was just a BMW update, and I've got no more in the car other than it's still awesome. The next one, and it's not overly followed, but I was using my Apple Studio display on my iPad, and I was thinking, well, they do a Mac Studio. Do you think they could do an iPad Studio later this year? Like a little hardware box. And maybe studio doesn't mean a drafting table like Microsoft use it, but actually means like a little powerful box that you plug into a monitor. Well, interesting idea. I can't see why they would. I think Apple have got a bit more of a story to tell with the iPad for me. And what I really want to see, and we should do our WWDC sort of expectations, if not next week, the week after, that they need to do something more compelling with the iPad for me. And I think something like a studio like Microsoft do would actually be something that's quite compelling. Just giving you an iPad box... Do you need the touchscreen? You know, there's an awful lot of stuff to come along with with that that wouldn't be included in that hardware. I quite like the idea of a desktop iPad, though. Oh, you would? Yeah, I would, because I'd just have one in my shed. I wouldn't need to bring my iPad down with me. It would just be here, be, be my work computer. I wouldn't need to move it around. And then I'd just have my laptop in my bag. I don't know. But you could just run the iPad simulator in Xcode and give yourself a desktop iPad, though. I guess so. I, I don't know. I don't even know what the practicalities of that would be. But anyway, that was my only thought Thought on that one. It's an interesting thought. And I suppose as a, you know, an exercise in your head for where Apple could go with this kind of hardware, it's an option, but it doesn't feel very Apple-y. You know, it's the second time I've said something's EE, this, this podcast. But, you know, I think what makes the iPad, certainly the iPad you've got, the device it is, is the screen and the processor and everything around it. And that experience of almost zero latency as you move your fingers around on the screen. And what, hardware box could offer that experience in front of a, a monitor for you unless apple did a studio display plus mac ipad edition or something no i don't even need a touch screen just i use my keyboard and mouse most of the time on it wouldn't it be a really good test for them right we're going to make an ipad boys and girls but without yeah. a touch screen so therefore you've got to make all the interactions work and make keyboard and mouse properly work make it so you can unlock it without looking at it I'll have Touch ID and do it all properly and do monitor support properly because it doesn't come with one. It'd be a real challenge for them to get the software sorted out. Well, it would make them get the software sorted out. And that's that's the biggest part of the story that's missing here, isn't it? I mean, yep. just to step back a second, the Microsoft Studio has not been a massive success as far as I'm aware. I've seen a couple of them on TVs. I've never seen one on someone's actual desk using it. No, same. I see them using, I see a lot of companies with the cheap consumable ones, but also hear a lot of complaints about them that they're just... They're too underpowered, and so mm. they're not, not cutting the mustard. They're a cheap device for a reason. I mean, we've got Surface laptops and, and some of the Surface Go, the really sort of cheap tablet type. That's the, the Go ones. They're the underpowered ones. And we've got one of them. I can't remember what it's called, one of the massive TVs. It's about 60 inches or something like that. It, we, needed a crate. we would have needed a crane to get it installed into our building. It's such a vast thing. So we gave up and just installed it on the ground floor. But that's an interesting Is that, is that the Surface Hub? It could be. It's it's a huge yeah, TV. We've got loads of those. They're really good. Yeah, they are okay. They work for us because anybody in our organization can just, if you book the room, it books the hub and you just tap join on the screen and you're in your meeting and you don't need any training and they know how to do a Teams meeting and it just kind of works. And it's much better than where you get the um, boardroom equipment where you've got a camera, some microphones, some cables that aren't plugged in, some weird operating system. It's just kind of Windows 
but on a big touchscreen. So for us, for just user adoption for non-techies, it's been amazing. But I think that sort of proves the point, doesn't it? You need the screen and the hardware's all got to be thought together and all the rest of it. And I'm not sure with iPad OS, particularly where it is at the moment, that just a, dev a device you could plug in and go with something similar to that, I don't think it's there for the iPad yet. Agreed. I don't think it's there yet, but I would think it'd be an awesome challenge for them to make it work. Make it work with external cameras, screens, do proper resolution scaling when, when you plug in a display. It would, it would be an interesting design challenge for the software team. It would, and it would give you what you wanted, which is an iPad you can plug into any sort of screen and just get on with it. Yep, without the massive black bars. <laughs> so this is actually wish fulfillment for you more than uh, a, a sense of just, just, just something that I thought about. Would they do an iPad studio? Now they're leaning into the studio name. That, that was it. No, it's, it's an interesting thought. And as a thought experiment, it's quite a good one. And if they could offer it cheaply with the right software, and I shouldn't say cheaply, Apple never do anything cheaply. But, you know, if they could offer it as a compelling package with the right software, it could be interesting. I don't think they'll ever do it, but it's an interesting idea. Imagine if you took your Apple TV box, though, and it just had an iPad guts in it, RAM and all the you know all the system on the chip and stuff. And you just plug one of those into your studio display. That would be awesome. Yeah, but I've got this thing called a Mac, which which you know I can get a Mac Mini for not a huge amount of money, and it is awesome, and I can put any software I want on it, and it expands to fit any display, and it just pretty much works with everything I throw at it. So I, I struggle to see the use case, but maybe. we're we're on this Mac iPad divide, so you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's me, but I sat down in front of my Mac and I didn't really know what to do with it because <laughs> I'd just forgotten. So I just picked up my iPad and carried on using that. <laughs> but I think that's just because I've had two years of solidly using an iPad. I'm just quicker on my iPad now than I am on a Mac because I just haven't used it that much. Yeah, I get it. But I think it, as a use case for most people, maybe that's maybe that's not fair. I think it depends on your on your role and what you do for a job and what you do when you get home of an evening. So if your job is email and the odd word document and giving presentations and stuff like that an ipad is a perfect device for you it's secure it works every time it connects to the things you want it to i totally get it i totally get it but if you do a bit of that but you also do say a little bit of software development or you do a little bit of of, of coding or going to github or trying to install new and different applications an ipad's not going to cut it for you in that scenario so it, it, it's about that sort of mode that you're in and what what suits your lifestyle best i completely agree my job is largely Microsoft Office based and all online teams, OneDrive. It completely works for what I do. It will not work for everybody. I yep, fair point. fully accept that. Interesting thought experiment. I had one more bit of follow-up. I was I was talking to somebody about one of the things we discussed last week, which is what wouldn't be compelling to us uh, in terms of buying new headphones. And this is in the light of Sony have just released an XM5 version of my headphone that we were talking about last week. And it's designed more like your uh, AirPods Max in the sense that they're not foldable anymore. So so they've taken the one design thing that Apple got wrong and copied it. Exactly. And um, Does it come with an awful case that doesn't match up to the, the port where you charge it as well? It, it's quite an intriguing little case. It looks like a mini rucksack. It's like a little triangular thing with a magnetic flap on it which store all your cables and things. It's not the worst looking case, but it's too big. Compared to the case I got with these, it's, it's too big. And they, only, and they offer them in white or black. The, the person I was talking to was saying what they'd find interesting in a product is if it was A, the shape they wanted, and B, they would pick a brand over another brand based on the colour that it was offered in because it would match, you know, made them interesting, easy to pick out, easy to find if when they dropped them at the bottom or something. You know, I, I kind of get that. For me, it's not a sales thing, 
But I, I'm with you. you. The sort of astonished look on your face you had a minute ago and you went, the one thing that was really good about them and differentiated them, they've got rid of. What? Yeah, I think the... I love my AirPods Max, don't get me wrong. I went out with my AirPods Pro the other day and I was like, oh, I should grab my big ones because they sound so much better. I love them. I've just actually installed a hook in, in my cabin so I can hang them up and I've put one up in the house so I know where they are. But the one thing that isn't in their favour is that they just don't collapse. But the rest of it, I can't fault them. They're really comfy. And maybe part of their comfort is because they don't collapse. They don't have any bands that dig in or anything. They've got this great mesh on the top. But I'd be surprised if anybody copied the non folding bit that just seems a bit bizarre to me well particularly as for for noise cancelling headphones particularly they're travel headphones you don't need noise cancelling if you're sitting in your own environment normally or watching you know you need it when you're on an airplane or on a train or there's a lot of conversation around you that's or you're at home and your children are murdering each other well but that's just to be expected and you can at least move rooms but if you're on a if you're on a plane next to somebody you're not getting away from the engine noise are you so it just it boggles my mind that you want to make that bigger uh, on on and let's face it it's been between sony apple and bose for who makes the best noise cancelling headphones and i think apple have been at the top of that little tree for a little bit with it with airpods max airpods pro sorry and Sony, apparently the noise cancelling on the XM5s is better now than Apple's, but now they've got rid of the other thing. Why can't they do all of the things? Why, why make it so hard? Yeah, it does seem a bit odd. The noise cancellation on the Maxes is far superior than the Pros. It is hands down. Obviously, they're covering all over your ear. It's just a different league. Yeah, love them. So you're not going to convince me. I just want the convenience of AirPods. So as soon as they did over the over the head ones, it was like done. Fair enough. I will pay the extra £100 just for the convenience that it just kind of works and switches device. Yeah, I, I think I'd have been more interested if they'd folded. And then they might have had a sale off me, but uh, not now. What they do? Next gen, see what we do. I think that'll do us for follow-up, Chris. Yep, let's move on. Let's move on. And just a, sort of an appeal from me. We always go to the news section next, but I think there's a sort of thin line between what's a rumour and what's news. So we'll let's do a little rumour section of it, and then we'll do our news bit. So rumours and news. Okay, so we're splitting news into two, so it's still the same length, but just just half enough. Okay, fine. If, if if listeners don't like this, then please do get in touch with uh, touch with us, and we'll we'll respond appropriately. So I think rumors first, and there is a new rumor I've seen from Minchi Quo talking about a potential of cheaper Apple TV hardware, and amazingly, that's something we were speaking about last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd be in massive support of this because I was thinking about it after we spoke, and then I saw this rumor, and this would be great for like my in laws. Because it's really hard to recommend them anything. And then you try and show them how to use the TV operating system and they don't like it. But it's hard to recommend them buy a, a 150 quid full-blown Apple TV. So I, I think this is great. Apple should definitely do this. And it's just, to sh- I guess they need that differentiation. This is just for streaming stuff, not for doing games. And if they could make that work, like the old Apple TV, and just make it cheap as chips, a no-brainer, surely. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I agree with you. It is a no-brainer. And if your competition is, as we were talking about last week, a Roku stick or an Amazon stick or a, or a Google thing, around the £50, $50 mark, why not put something out there in, in the market and just have your operating system in front of more eyeballs with a bit of airplay in it? Makes complete sense to me. Given that the Apple TV remote retails on its own for about £50 to £60, I do wonder what price point they're going to hit. Yeah, and that, you know, that makes prompts another thought doesn't it that uh, do you say okay here's your apple tv streaming stick and you only control it with your iphone that for me would then be a, a tough recommendation yeah particularly for that older member non-techie member of your family that isn't comfortable to whip out their phone you know and, and take control of what's on the tv they, they want a remote control 
I can already hear my phone ringing. How do I change the BBC <laughs> streaming app? How do I do this? Got, well, I don't know. How well, do I get the remote up? Maybe they bring back the old uh, remote that they used to give away with Macs back in the day, the white plastic one that looked a little bit like an iPod shuffle, one of the early generation iPod shuffles, because that was a perfectly adequate remote control for something like this. And it magnetically attached to the side of the iMac. I remember it well. It did for, oh God, what was it called? The application Home Center Stage? Was it called Center Stage? Front Row. Front Row, that was it. Yeah, that was awesome. So when we first moved into our first house, didn't have a TV. So we just put the iMac where the TV would go. And we used that to watch TV and, and play music. Those were the days. Those were the days. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So I think we're both positive about Apple TV hardware, cheaper stuff coming out. You, you've raised a good point there about the remote control. I hadn't considered that. I was just thinking, oh, you know, they put something in just like one of the HDMI sticks like you get from Amazon or something like that. Maybe only in, in, in 1080p. They don't release a 4K version of it. Get the hardware down. They certainly get the silicon on a cheap chip sorted out. You know, when you look at what they've got them in your monitor, for example, I don't think it'd be very hard for them to have a very small silicon on a chip sitting there running an Apple TV, even installing some of the apps as we've talked about, maybe less storage. But the remote's a bit of a kicker isn't it it is i'm aware of it because i bought one of those remotes for a 4k one that i've already got and so i'm aware how much they are because it's like do i just buy a remote or do i just get a whole new apple tv and sell it, it like what, what's the cheapest option here it's nuts i think it's got to be 4k though come on like amazon are knocking out 4k ones pretty cheaply these days so i don't know i, th I think they've got a, you know you're going to pay a premium but they've got to do something that's sub 100 so i think the 1080 Apple TV at the moment is £150, just under £150. So what sort of price point, if they were to reduce, uh, introduce a cheaper one, would you see this at? They've got to do 99.99, surely. Yeah, I think that would be okay. They could push it down a little bit for more for me. If they could get it sort of 79.99, 89.99, I think that that's a sweet spot. You, you could, oh, I'm happy to pay that little bit more for Apple quality or however they do it without going at the full, you know, that, that would work. Yes, yeah, so that's hundred quid. Is what you're talking about? Well, no, th those those you know things are priced the way they are for a reason. Your ninety nine ninety nines are because it's not a hundred quid. It's ninety nine ninety nine, and yeah, it's a hundred quid. But it does make a difference to consumers. I'm not spending a hundred quid. It's like a psychological barrier for some people. And if it is eighty nine quid or seventy nine quid, then that psychological barrier is that little bit further away, isn't it? So you know, I think it all helps. Yeah, it's got to be nine 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 nine. That's the number. <laughs> if they would do it, I bet I'll, I'll bet you a pound that it's. 99 quid. Well, I'll take your bet if they do it, but I just point you at the home pod and it's 89.99. It's not 99.99. So I'm amazed by that by the way. It's, so, it has come down a little bit. They, they they can do it. It doesn't always need to be pushed right up against the barriers of what's acceptable. So I will let's let's have a pound bet on that whether if it comes out, I'm saying it's cheaper than 99.99. Okay, and I'm saying it's 99.99. <laughs> okay. That's a deal. Right. Moving on, it looks like it might be the end of the road for lightning uh, connectors, which we did talk about a little bit last week in terms of headphones, but it seems that the rumour has now extended to the iPhone 15. Yeah, so this will be the iPhone coming out next year. So obviously they're all on lightning at the moment and have been for about the last 10 years. And when Apple introduced it, they said, we're introducing this new lightning connector. It'll be with us for 10 years. We've had the dock connector for well over 10 years at that time. Because if you remember, the dock connector was on the iPods, which we might talk about a bit later. And then it was on the first iPhone all the way up to the iPhone 4S, I think. And then with the 5, it then moved over to lightning. And then obviously lightning's then appeared on your AirPods charging case, your keyboards, your mice, your um, trackpads. It's on literally everything. Your Apple, your, your Apple Pencil Gen 1. So it's been on everything. 
I would love it if they went to USB-C because in my house there's very few lightning cables. I either want them to do USB-C or just MagSafe. That's the two connectors I've got floating around the most now. Yeah, when you say it like that, I forget the breadth of where there are lightning connectors because on the bottom of the phone it makes complete sense to me. And it's probably helped by the EU ruling that all devices should charge with a USB-C connector. I mean, that's probably going to push them in that direction as much as anything else. So fine on a phone, but then you think, oh, hang on, it is on my uh, headphone connector, it is on my keyboard, it is on my trackpad, it is on, I'm sure I've got a pair of old Beats headphones kicking around somewhere that also use lightning rather than something else. So that connector in the Apple ecosystem, features large. It really does. Yeah. yeah. AirPods case obviously has it on, even if you just charge by Qi or, or MagSafe. So it is everywhere. What do you think the first thing to switch will be from a, an existing product with Lightning? What's going to be the first one to go to USB-C? Well, they've already partially done the iPad, haven't they? So iPad, iPads have gone, for, some iPads, the Pros, have gone from Lightning to USB-C. And the Mini and the Air is yeah. just the... The regular iPad, the more educational one, that's surely going to be next. Yeah, and th- and now we've got Macs with it as well. Ever since the sort of change to from 2015 MacBook onwards, have all had USB-C as well, even though they've gone back to MagSafe a little bit now. But it's on the laptop. So for me, I'd expect to see it on the phone first because it was introduced on the phone before, as you said, with the iPhone 5, after the 4S, the 5. That makes a logical place to do it because that's where you sell the majority of your wires and connectors and things like that when people upgrade their phones. And again, we're not talking about this year, we're talking about next year. So I think they do the phone and then they have everything else lined up to change as well, the keyboards and the headphones and et cetera, et cetera. I think it's going to be the iPad first because there's one left. So why they're going to do that, I think. So I think it'll be the iPad and then it'll be the phone and all the peripheries will probably go in a wanna to thought but that's going to leak surely because there'll be so many parts yeah the second you see the bottom of a case render for the iphone 15 there'll be no doubt that it's not a lightning connector so it should be an easy thing to see i would have thought or, or would they do data over magsafe and start shipping the puck i i've struggled to see that the, the, let's face it the magsafe charging things for phones are expensive they really are quite expensive compared to plugging in a cable and i don't think most of the public is there yet for big transfers of data. I know AirDrop is an amazing technology. An AirDrop is a technology. You've got a Mac or an iPad or an iPhone. You can just push, uh, explainer-in-chief again, you can just push data from one or the other relatively painlessly. Even quite large files you know, are, are transferred very, very quickly. But I don't think, if you're you know, a film professional and you're shooting and storing footage on your phone, which they did for Lord of the Rings back in the day, they were storing it on iPods and transferring it back from Australia for editing. I think you still want that connector that's really fast to shunt things around on. And let's face it, USB-C will be faster than Lightning. Yeah, true. But would they, would they ever make it so you could do it over MagSafe? Would they ever have some weird way? And I, I've no idea. I'm not not a wizard that i love magsafe because you know what if you get lint in the bottom of your iphone connector it don't matter because you're not using it anymore it's not as bad as it was back in the dock days that's for sure that that those bits of oh, tissue you'd find horrific. clogging up yeah yeah no okay so i think we're, we're both agreed that move to USB-C is long overdue i love having it on my playstation 5 for example i don't need to spend three hours trying to figure out which way up the connector is to plug it in at the back and charge the controllers it's it's a no-brainer for me all USB-C on all of the things when are people going to stop shipping USB-A, though? So, fine, let's kill Lightning. But why has my PlayStation 5 got USB-A on it? Why has my new car got USB-A on it? Everything should go to C. Yeah, Apple were criticized for the courage in moving to USB-C so quickly, but it's, it's time has come. And You're quite right. Why are there still USB-A connectors on, a, on, on, on the PlayStation or on the Xbox S or Xbox S? 
it's time these connecting standards died. We've we've got a better one. It works both ways up. Let's move on. It's the data equivalent of VGA. It's just going to keep hanging on in there. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the problem. Is you, you know your your PC motherboard manufacturer is always going to stick a couple on because they're cheap and everybody's got one, and it just means the standard sort of goes on and on and on. And there is an argument to be made on the recycling side that you have got a connector that works, and you shouldn't throw all these things away. And think of the tons, billions of tons, <laughs> possibly of USB A cables there are kicking around out there, from USB A to micro USB to mini. It's it, that is an unending amount of rubbish actually that would have been created as a consequence. So, but at the same time, you've got to move on. Agreed. I, th- I think we yeah, it's got to move on. Everybody yep. needs to get to see job done. Yep. Right. Shall we move on? Let's move on. I think that was the last of our rumours, actually. We can move on to some proper news. So I thought this was an interesting story that I picked up, that we know how supply-constrained lots of chip manufacturers, computer makers have been. You only need to look at NVIDIA and ATI for their inability to ship graphics cards, although that has a certain amount to do with Bitcoin and NFTs and the creation of tokens and things like that as well. But apparently there are only three Macs who, which you can get immediate shipping on in the US at the moment. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So the three Macs, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the iMac and the Mac Mini, and they're all the M1 ones, the original sort of bunch, and then they came out. So it's quite interesting. Maybe they're having trouble with the new chip, or maybe the new chip or the more recent chips are in so much demand. Well, presumably they're ramping up production for for what comes next as well as M2s and the rest of it. And why would you continue to make M1 Macs when you've got Ultras out there and Pros and the rest of it? And people who are looking to buy a new laptop probably want the next best thing and we're all expecting the m2 any minute now so i can kind of see it from that point of view but you think that i suppose supply chains have got longer recently part of the you know japel's genius and tim cook's genius in particular was the ability to produce these things as they were needed and get them on shelves and that really seems to have slipped when you look at the devices people actually want nobody really wants a 13 inch macbook pro at the moment they'd buy a macbook air you know the macbook air isn't on that list no, you're right. You're right. And it isn't the device. Maybe that's why they are available. Maybe they have got too too much built up in the supply chain. And you're right. That is what got Tim to where he is today because he worked on, and I forgive me, I can't remember the numbers. I think he was getting them down from when he started. They had like a month's worth of stock in the supply chain. Then he got it down to like eight days and then, or six days. And then he halved it to like two or three days kind of thing. So they very much are that just-in-time manufacturer. But I guess that with the pandemic and the supply chain shortage, it's hard to gauge how much do we need in the in the channel. So, And I guess equally, how much do they need in the channel of existing product just to fulfill? And then how much do they need until they bring out the next model? And if the next model gets delayed, you know, it's it's quite a game of spreadsheet maths, I guess, just to work, work all this out. So... It is what it is. I'm not surprised. It's hard to get over anything at the moment. What I find interesting in the story is that the fact that apparently the worst hit is Australia, who can't get a Mac Pro for 10 to 11 weeks. Who wants an Intel Mac Pro? Yeah, who's buying a Mac Pro? <laughs> Australians are mad about the Mac Pro? I don't know, is that? Maybe they're making another Lord of the Rings down there. <laughs> that would be New Zealand, but maybe it's Mad, maybe it's mad Max. Oh, that's a bad joke. Moving swiftly along. Also in slightly sad news is that macOS server has gone at end of life. I'm not surprised. In fact, this has been unloved for a while. So for years, alongside releasing of macOS 10, you'd also get a server variant, which in essence had a 
couple of extra control panels, I remember which version, but at some point Apple stopped shipping as a complete extra OS and it was just an app you could buy on the Mac App Store as a download and it would give you things like email, server ability, web server, address book, you know, that, that kind of thing for small businesses. And it's got an end of life. Some of functionality they have taken out and baked into the OS itself that we all have on our Macs. But it's, it's no big surprise. I mean, Apple have been pulling out of the small business market, what, for well over 10 years now, because they killed XSurf a long, long time ago. And there was the XSurf San, if you remember. So it's kind of a shock, this one. And it's, I, I quite like it when they, when they kill a few things and tidy up. Yeah, I guess so. I wonder how much it cost them to maintain it, because as you say, it was a couple of control panel items, but almost all the bits and pieces on it, apart from having a slightly nicer GUI, would be something that you'd get in a Linux variant. You know, some like you said, email or a web server is a, is a prime example of something where you could go off, you know, spin up a Docker container or spin up a, a, an instance of Ubuntu Linux or something for nothing and have these things up and running. So the technology is all there as part of the open source movement. So it can't cost them a lot in terms of engineering and keeping it going. And I suspect that there probably were just enough users, but I guess they've got the money for, for the the... the, the the information on that for how many people were actually using it so yeah sad to see it go uh, I, I never like to see software being retired but i think there's probably better alternatives and most people would just spin up that docker container these days it's probably not too costly to to run it but then you've got to document it you've got to support it you've got to keep up with the new features it's just a distraction they struggle to keep up with their own apps like that they, they installed on over a billion devices so this just feels like in the minutiae for them now yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, let's face it, they're not great at documenting some of the things they're meant to, like their developer tools and APIs and things like that aren't particularly well documented either. So I suppose if it's down for like less than 100 users or probably less than a million users is barely worth it for Apple at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a thought. One thing that did occur to me with my enterprise hat on is that one thing that macOS Server did give you was fairly easy MDM support. And MDM is master device management. It's your ability to track your phones and your installed laptops and what users are using in software. And there's lots of third-party alternatives for this. You didn't have to run Apple's one. You install a profile on your phone or on the Mac or whatever it is. And as an enterprise, you can control what people are putting on the machines, what websites they can look at, how they log in, all that good stuff as well. And that was baked into a Mac OS server. So the loss of that will probably be felt by some people. And they can move to Cisco Meraki or one of the many other products that are out there. But I've got to think there's some Mac-only places that will be hurting a little bit because of that. Yeah, I'd have thought so, but they're going to be much small. I would have thought they'd be much smaller organizations and and people doing it. And also, how hard is it going to be, or has it been, to get a MacOS server admin person? I mean, there can't be that many that really do it. So Probably not, but it's just Unix under the hood. And I, I would have thought if you're a Unix system admin, it, the skills are fairly transferable. And there's plenty of Unix admins out there these days. Yeah, true, true, I guess so. I I don't know, but who knows about all the little nuances, but are they also kidding it because they want to start taking it out of the, the client OS that we've all got installed on our Macs now? Because is it more below that just half the population aren't using, you know, where it has to connect to it or it can connect to a Mac server? Yeah, I suppose. And they are getting rid of bits and pieces of Mac OS anyway. I mean, the versions of Python and Ruby and things like that that have come with it historically now aren't being installed with it. You used to get Apache and you used to get PHP installed with with your Mac OS back in the day, and they don't come anymore either. You can still get them by hook or by crook, be it by homebrew, or some of them are still available as an installer from Apple when you install the dev tools. But you're right, they are sort of plucking out these bits of the operating system that are 
I would say more important for people in sort of my industry and in sort of education and, and development who expect to have Ruby installed or expect to have Python installed. Uh, and it is a bit of a loss when uh, we've talked about this before. You could buy that one machine, which was a Mac, which had all these tools with it as standard, and you could open it up and get get working straight away with an environment that you were used to. And that's kind of gone away a bit. Not unprecedented, they did it to Java back in the day. I don't know if you remember back in the days of, of Interface Builder and, and the early versions of Xcode. In fact, was it even called Xcode at that point? They used to come with Java. Developer tools, I think is what you're thinking Developer of. Developer tools um, as well, yeah. I'm a big believer, though, that the OS should come with a minimum amount of stuff installed. Because what happens if there's an exploit in Java or an exploit in Ruby, and then it's another patch that a consumer's got to download? I mean, imagine how many of these Macs people are just using for the web office-based stuff. And then, you know, they're not installing any of this developer stuff. I wonder, actually, would a better solution for them be, a bit like Microsoft's had for a long time, of you can install extras kind of thing, you know, the options that you may want to install. So I think they should ship with the minimum turned on, and then you just go and tick, right, I want you know, Apple's blessed version of PHP, tick, tick, you know, and you install it that way rather than it coming with, I think, same like with the firewall, you, you ship it with everything turned off and blocked. No, I, I mean, you have a fair point there that it seems to me they're struggling just to maintain the core of the operating system. And we've seen how long it's taken them to, you know, get a universal control up and running, you know, and that was one of the tentpole features of the last version of macOS. So that and having to maintain packages for everything else is probably more headache than they've got engineers to deal with at this point. So leaving it to the homebrew community or leaving it to the Unix community to make those ports probably more correctly than Apple developers are because they're building their own way isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a bit sad that it's an extra step, really. Yeah, I don't disagree, but with my security hat on, I think it's the right thing. Fair enough. Good. I think that will do us for rumors and news. Shall we move on to media? Yeah, media, why not? So I think I'm first up. So Severance, I've watched all of it, loved it. I haven't watched anything else since we last spoke, but I have finished Severance. I really enjoyed it, actually. I thought the end was very good. Quite, It felt to me a lot faster paced than the rest of the show, the last episode. I thought they brought it together well. For me, I was probably a little disappointed with the end in that, I don't know if we're allowed to say, but they just teed themselves up for another season. And I kind of wanted a bit more closure. I probably prefer a season to bring all the strands together and finish there in case the next one never gets made. But I did enjoy it. I thought it was very clever. Happy they got a bit quicker in the last one because it was just a little slow from 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 my usual pacing. Yeah, that's that's interesting you say that. I'd agree. I think the first couple of episodes were a bit slow. The the fact that the, we teed up another season doesn't surprise me. But I also think Apple so far compared to Netflix at least, seem to be a lot more generous with the amount of seasons of TV that are inclined to give people. Because we have seen all sorts of things renewed that probably didn't deserve it. But certainly, you know, The Morning Show is getting a third season. We're going to talk about For All Mankind in a minute that's getting a third season. You know, the Foundation, apparently they've got five or six seasons planned of that, which is just, just incredible for a show that must cost as much as it does. So they seem more generous with the, the, the Amazon, oh, you've made 12 episodes, you're out here kind of approach to things. So they probably were fairly confident going in, they were going to get no, And then it's a critical success as well, the way Severance has been. I, good. And more than that, I'm really glad you enjoyed it because I thought it was a great show. No, it was really good. And all the sh- shows you've just listed, I'm thinking Crumbs, I still haven't watched that, still haven't watched that. I've, there's loads, isn't there, to catch up on? Yeah, this is a real thought for me that, now, when I flick on the TV, I all, I'm not quite there, but I'm almost checking Apple first to look for a quality show to watch because I'm not going to... Ne- I think for me, it's two things. One, do I want something I want to watch and give all my attention to? In which case, I'll probably go Apple TV Plus. 
too if i just want something on in the background i'll probably go somewhere else if you see what i mean like i'll put on a film i've seen before or a tv show off of all four or something but if i want something i really want to watch and enjoy then it's definitely apple tv plus because they've got some good stuff like you just mentioned foundation and like i probably haven't caught up on it or watched it because i know i want to focus my time on it and really enjoy it but i just haven't had the time to give it yet yeah, I do think foundation is worth it, but more than that, you know, I think for all mankind is particularly worth it. And we've we've touched on it before. So, but the third season they've just announced is coming in June. It is an excellent show, and it's only grown. You know, what started off as just a you know a slightly alt history version of what might have happened back in the day has has truly become a fully fledged science fiction show all of its own, maintaining some of the actors. They, they really sort of stick by their themes and it's just very, very thoughtful and well done. So I, I would recommend if you haven't seen it yet, binge the first two seasons of For All Mankind and get ready to go. Awesome. So I now need to watch more TV. Let me see what I can do. No, it, it, I think it's fair enough that, you know, I've, I've tried a couple of things on your recommendations. So this is definitely one for me. I think For All Mankind is worth the time. And I genuinely think it's probably in the top tier of shows on Apple TV. It's up there with Ted Lasso for me on, on something that could sell the the product itself. Ted Lasso, I've watched both seasons at least three or four times each. Love them. I am just firing up my Apple TV app just to see why, when I gave up watching Full Mankind, because I know I got partway through season one. Right. Well, maybe start again. So just while you're doing that, yeah. I will follow up by saying I started a new Apple uh, TV Plus show that came out uh, this week, and that's The Essex Serpent with Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston. Not immediately the kind of thing I'd typically watch, but I wanted to give it a chance, actually. I've worked there, they did their usual, here's three episodes of it, and the rest will then come on Fridays. I've watched two of the three episodes since it came out on Friday. It's sort of a more period piece set in Essex just at the turn of the 20th century, so sort of 1890, 1899, something like that, moving to 1900. Very well acted, very well put together, as, as is typical for, for Apple stuff. It is quite slow, i got to say. It's quite slow. And one thing that I... I, I do sort of find quite amusing is that everybody's very very clean and wears beautiful knitwear which i'm not entirely sure was a thing in the 1890s in rural essex which is where it's set but yeah there's something quite compelling about it and it's i gotta say claire danes who i know is an american actress her english accent is fantastic you know it's one of the best i've ever heard actually i had to go and double check that she was actually an american actress i'm trying to think where i know claire danes from up was she in some form of Terminator film? She might have been. If you talk to the listeners for a little bit, I'll do some very fast follow-up and find out where you might know her from. Okay. Well, just for All Mankind, I got th- through the first three episodes when I watched it on season one and then must have got sidetracked onto something else. So I do need to get back into it. Yeah, I think it is worth your time. I genuinely do. So Claire Danes, you might know her from Homeland. Oh, yes, Homeland. There you go. Uh, she's in Portlandia and a few other bits and pieces as well, but nothing particularly well-known other than Homeland, I wouldn't have said. Law and Order and things like that. No, there we go. she was in Terminator 3. Knew it. I can't think that I've seen Terminator 3. It's not one that would have leapt out to me. That's what I was thinking of. (laughs) Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Kate Brewster. There you go. Were any of them worth watching after Terminator 2? I like to watch some of them just to see where they go with it. But no, Terminator 2 was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Especially the 4K version. Absolutely. Well, no more on that. Watch Terminator, watch Terminator 2, give up then. The rest of them aren't worth it. Uh, I thought I'd also follow up a little bit on what I mentioned before about Amazon's free services. So if you if you cancel Amazon Prime, then you lose access to the Prime service on the box. But Amazon have a new free TV channel called Amazon Freevee, 
which uh, there's a bunch of free films on. It's all ad supported. There's some uh, TV content on there that support it as well. But what they've actually done is, and you might not be familiar with it, one of Amazon's better shows on the Prime service is a, a show called Bosch, uh, which is about a detective in LA. And there's five seasons of it, I think, on Amazon Prime. Excellently acted, really well made. It's so good it should almost be an Apple TV, i got to say. And they have released the next series of that, where he's no longer in the LAPD and has moved on a little bit, to freebie. So even if you, as a compelling thing to get you on Amazon Prime, I just thought it was an interesting move to publicize your new free streaming service by moving one of your major shows over. I'm just trying to work out why they're doing this. What makes this different? Is this just like a prime trial? There's enough on here as a trial. I actually found it really irritating that, you know, I pay Amazon Prime. I don't want adverts and things. When I watch Freevee as an Amazon Prime customer, I shouldn't see the adverts, surely. Well, I still get the occasional advert. It is a bit confusing. And just I'm Sorry, stream free with ads. You are correct. Yep, yep. And there's some older stuff on there. Like if you've ever watched Babylon 5 back in the day, they've got all of Babylon 5 on Amazon Freebie, which most people wouldn't have watched. But if you like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, then Babylon 5 was a great sort of competitor to it back in the day. So there is content on there that's that's probably worth watching for people. And certainly this new Bosch season is, is worth watching. I just think it's a really strange strategic play to take a really popular thing and make it free. I don't know what to say. Why didn't why isn't this just prime video free tier with ads? Yeah. I don't know. Do we need another streaming platform brand name app? Well, they've rebranded it. This this used to be called IMDB TV and obviously didn't do very well, so they've immediately rebranded it as Freevee. So I just this seems a bit confused. There's a lack of joined up thinking from Amazon here what they're trying to do. I, I could see a strategy where you you put it in your main brand and you put it on Amazon Prime and people watched it and maybe a month, six months, one year later, you put it down to your free streaming service to, to keep people sort of engaged and interested there as a hook to get them to upgrade. But it just makes absolutely no sense to me. And there seems to be quite a lot of stuff on here. I, I'm confused. Yeah, there seems to be quite a bit on here, to be fair. Yep. Did you know they, they remastered Baywatch from the 90s by LooksFit? It's on, on Freevee. Baywatch remastered. <laughs> well, there you go. If you if you want to see people in swimming costumes running along the, along the beach in slow motion, that's the place to go. I can't believe they've spent the time to remaster Baywatch. That's all I'm going to say. Did you watch the film, the, rem- the remade Baywatch film? I actually quite enjoyed it. It was fair, a bit brainless fun, but Zac Efron, you, you know, The Rock, can you really go wrong? Yeah, it was all right. It was. I think it shocked me, though, because there was quite a bit of swearing in it and things, which I just didn't expect from some branded Baywatch. But... Yeah, yeah. Maybe they made the, the sex side of it just a bit more explicit if that was possible than the TV show. Anyway, I think that'll do us for media this week. Shall we uh, move on to gaming? Yeah, gaming. So I just put a couple of bits in here. One, for whatever reason, after we talked about Tetris last week, I thought, can I just go and get Tetris on my phone? So I searched for Tetris and it said the original Tetris. I was like, done. I just want to have a go. Downloaded it on my iPad. Mistake. It's not ready to be played on an iPad. So I deleted it, put it on my phone click new game or tap new game tap through get loads of adverts it crashed it just doesn't work i didn't even get to the game and then i thought i wonder if i can just pay some money to remove ads like a couple of quid no option there you can just buy coins or gems or bags or something awful right how could they just take a simple game like tetris and just make it look so naff and riddled with ads and buggy so i'm a bit gutted on that one but the link's in there. I don't recommend anybody install it, but you can have a look at the screenshots. But it's awful. Yeah, you then, sold that uh, really well. Really well. Yeah, sorry. I was gutted, though, because I just thought, oh, that'd be perfect on my iPhone. Like, a really nice quality Tetris game would be really good. And then I also in, just put in a game in him is Mario Strikers Battle League Football. Bit of a mouthful. But I saw this, 
And there's only a little teaser trailer. I thought this looks awesome to play with my son, who's really into football. And it'd be nice to have a two-player game that isn't FIFA. So um, I'm quite looking forward to that. Did you see that EA lost the license for FIFA? I did. And my, I mean, we're just getting into FIFA in my house because my son's eight. So uh, interesting. So I think there's one more FIFA to come, 23. And then it's going to be EA Sports, Football Sports Club or something. It's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Who's bigger in that scenario? Is FIFA, the organization, bigger than Electronic Arts with the computer game for it? Do they need each other in that situation? I think EA is big enough. And if you've got all the licensed teams, why are you then licensing FIFA on top? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And again, I should do the explainer-in-chief thing if you're not really into it. Electronic Arts is a large software developer that tend to do sports licenses as much as anything else. So they've got golf with, uh, I think it's still Rory McIlroy. It used to be Tiger Woods. They've got a golf thing with a, with a personality which is endorsed by the PGA. They've got Major League Baseball. They've got Major League Basketball. They've got the National Football League. They've got all sorts of well-endorsed and, and branded sports games where they do things like they even model crowd noises in stadiums from you know the various leagues and things that are on. They're quite good at that kind of stuff. And they've had the FIFA license almost as long as I can remember. It must be getting on for 30 plus years. I think the Electronic Arts have had it. Yeah, a long time. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's at least that. And there have been lots of sort of pretenders to, I mean, I'm not a football fan, to, to electronic football, like Sensible World of Soccer back in the day. You had Konami had one as well, the name which escapes me at the moment. Pro Evolution Soccer. Pro well. Evolution Soccer, which was a hugely well-regarded game. But because EA had the license and the players' likenesses and all this technology for the crowds and all the rest of it, and I don't know, you can tell me, they probably make a half-decent game as well at this point. Yeah, I'm playing on PS5 with a 4K telly, so it look, look, looks pretty good as you'd expect. Yeah, but looks aren't everything. You've got a Switch as well, and they don't look all that great. It's about the gameplay. The one on the Switch is awful. <laughs> Fair enough. It's literally like they phoned it in. It's like <laughs> some intern's project. Okay, so variability of programming from Electronic Arts and the FIFA license. But, you know, that's it's a lot of money we're talking about here, I and mean, we must be talking hundreds of millions of dollars for these licenses, if not more. Oh, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, everybody buys them. It's like Call of Duty. Everybody seems to buy it and play it for the season, and then you want the new one. It was on my son's birthday list for Christmas. I, I'm i a bit tainted. I think I hate EA because they just... When we were younger, they bought a lot of games companies, swallowed them whole and ruined them. Remember Westwood Studios that made Command & Conquer? And they ruined that, which is gutting. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of EA. I can see why they're doing it. It is what it is. Yeah, a little bit of my sort of computer history. On my Amiga, one of the first games I bought was a flight simulator called Interceptor. When games were, polygons were just big triangles or squares or things like that. There was sort of no real depth to them, quite literally. And you flew around Los Angeles, and one of the things in Los Angeles was Electronics Art Studio. The, the One of the properly, properly, squares and circles, buildings that you could actually fly over other than the Golden Gate Bridge was Electronic Arts' own studios from that developer. And I, I had a sort of fond memory from that, but everything they did after that just upset me more and more and more. They just they just got too big and bought everything. Yeah. So that, but that, but that okay. is the story of, of big game studios, isn't it? You know, you, you can see it from the Blizzard deal that they've done with Microsoft. You can see it with Ubisoft. You know, it's, it's the nature of the business that the, the shark eats the minnows, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's exactly what happens. And it's... Not good, is it? 
it's not great. But I think there's been an explosion of indie games, and I, I just want to mention uh, before we finish with gaming, a little game I had a, a go out on the Mac, and I was no, I've, we've been bemoaning recently the lack of games on the Mac. But this is one that I found on Steam that actually works really well on my M1 Mac. It, if you have a Windows computer, you can play it there as well. And in fact, it worked on the Linux build as well. So it just works really well between them all. And it's called Desperados 3. It's not a new game. It's been out a couple of years. And it's kind of a, what would I call it? I'd call it a stealth up where you just got to make decisions. You can do things like throw stones to distract guards so you can sneak the other way and all the rest of it in order to achieve the objectives of the level. Set in a very cowboy world. I'm not the biggest on, on Westerns and things like that, but it's quite a compelling you know world. They build the characters as you go along. The missions are quite interesting. I've played about five levels of it yet uh, so far. I think it was about £18 on Steam. Uh, money well spent if you're just looking for something sort of uh, tide you over, think about things for a little bit of time and you've got a Mac or a Windows or a Linux and you haven't picked it up, wait for the next Steam sale and get it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It works really well, mouse and keyboard. Be a perfect game for an iPad, actually. I'm surprised they haven't thought about that too. So yeah, just a, a nice little recommend. Desperados 3. Yeah, no, I thought I haven't played it. I thought it looked really good and it just reminded me of Commandos back in the day. I used to play that game a lot on my PC, Commandos, and then Commandos 2, which I think I've got on my Switch and then they did bring out Commandos 3. Not even sure what happened to that company, whether they got swallowed whole by EA as well. But um, I love those games just because they were different. It was a different take. It was a slow game, but just so well done. But no, it looks, looks really good. I think you'd like that. The art style is really good. It's really well done. And the sound design is fantastic. You know, all the voices of everybody, the sound effects of throwing rocks around or sort of scrabbling over um, hedges or uh, mises or whatever they are in America as they go around the desert, on and off trains and all the rest of it. It's it's just a really well done game for a reasonable amount of money that, yeah, I was I was impressed. Good. Move on. Let's move on. Main show. Uh, we've only got one topic really tonight and it's to sort of celebrate the passing of an old friend, isn't it? Yeah, so most people have probably heard Apple have announced in a press release that it's the end of the iPod, but the music lives on. <laughs> and they kind of ignored that they've killed the iPod, but just focused on the music carries on. Yeah, it is a bit of a sad one, this for me. And you, you've put a note in our show notes here. Is this your first Apple device? And I don't think it was my first Apple device. The, the, my, my toilet seat MacBook was my first Apple device, but this was probably my second Apple device. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. So I remember it got delivered to your house when I ordered one because your your lovely wife delivered it to me because we were at university at the time and I was in halls. And when you're ordering a two, £300 iPod, you don't want it to go missing in your shared house. So I got it delivered to your house. I, I remember it. What a device it was. But no, I had, I would have had a MacBook. No, it wouldn't have been a MacBook, would it? I would have had an iBook at the time, maybe an iMac. And then I got the iPod to go with it. Love that thing. What, what a device though but if apple hadn't done it and i think we did touch on this a few weeks ago with the iphone would they have had the money to do the iphone and would the os have worked like it works with the scrolling lists and and going through the you know the screens to get to get to the detail because all of that is inspired from the ipod it's an amazing product and it's linked a little bit to the two books we spoke about with after steve and tony fidel's build book in that the, those two books cover bits of this and how how this ipod came to be and Obviously, it pivoted the company. It was already on a pivot, but this just accelerated it into the consumer electronics space. Yeah, I remember the controversy when it came out is that there were a few MP3 players on the market and they were cheaper. And there was a company that made sound cards, I'm sure, that was really popular. Creative Labs. 
Creative Labs, who, who had one of the very first MP3 players, and it had almost no hard disk on it. You could get about 30 songs on it. The batteries didn't last very long. They weren't very well made. Well, they were reasonably well made, but they were typical sort of consumer electronics. They were a bit flimsy. A lot of grey plastic, a lot of blue plastic, that kind of stuff. Not the most impressive devices in the world, and certainly somebody, I think, at that point who had a Discman. It wouldn't have been a Walkman. It would have been a Discman at that point. I had no interest in moving to that because my Discman lasted longer. I could carry out a whole different things around with it. Do you mean a Discman is in a CD player yeah. or is in a mini disc player? No, do I mean a mini disc. I do remember mini disc. No, I mean a Discman is in a CD player. It was a Sony Discman, and the reason I bought it is because it had ten seconds anti-skip. So because discs spin, and you put this in your pocket and walk along, it actually had a little buffer in it where it could keep some of the music. So if it did take a shake in your pocket, the music would keep playing smoothly, and that was quite a big deal back in the days of compact discs. I remember it well. I did have a mini disc player and I love that thing as well. I've always loved portable music. Everywhere I go, I've got some headphones on. So I did have a mini disc player. I couldn't afford an iPod when it first came out or when the second one came out. I probably wasn't even in that space at that time because it was Mac only to begin with. Well, this is it. And I think getting down to specifics, I didn't buy the first generation iPod the one with the mechanical click wheel because it used to be actually attached mechanically to the center of the thing and you could spin it and by all accounts it was a beautifully designed bit of hardware for that actual spinning wheel that was that was built onto it and i didn't buy it either it was very expensive i got i think it was around 500 quid when it came out which was an awful lot of money in those days had quite a small hard disk i think it was about a five gig hard disk at that point and the you know from the, the fidel book you're talking about i remember they built the ipod in that size because i think it was toshiba at the time had a hard disk small enough to fit that on so five gigs of data at that point getting music onto your computer was even a bit of a trial because your hard disk wasn't that big on your computer either and the whole process of ripping cds there was no music store there was napster and things like that but i gotta say i don't think napster had the same impact in the uk that it had in america because we didn't have ubiquitous broadband internet at that point either people didn't have music libraries on their computers so at that point I didn't have the sales pitch for an MP3 player. My Discman was more than good enough for me with a first-generation iPod. Yeah, I can understand that. And I think you got into iPod earlier than I did, um, but you were already in, in the Apple ecosystem. And do you remember they used to rip a CD and it would go and look up all the album tracks on there? Was it Grace Note or something else? Right. I can't, I can't there was, was Grace Note and there was CDDB. CDDB, yes. Yeah. And you'd rip the CD and then obviously you could then have it on there. But you're right, storage on your computer just wasn't enough occasionally you you know you'd have to move tracks around or gosh i'll just delete because i've got the cd i can re-rip it again another day yeah and i do remember doing we we would have both been studying for exams at the time or meant to be studying for exams and so what the, the sort of the story was i started i think it sort of triggered me in starting to rip my music and i had a huge cd collection i was a bit of an audiophile myself i had a really nice amplifier and speakers and all that kind of stuff and i thought this ipod thing is going to go places so i'm going to start ripping the cds and i can't even remember the name of the program but there was a program on windows at the time because i had to see a, a faster cd drive on my windows machine than on my mac that you could put the disc in set the bit rate you were ripping it at and i think i set it at 128 because it was the best balance uh, in mp3s between storage space for me and and you know having a half decent quality you could go down from that but i wanted to be able to hear it set them going you could put the, the disc in hit go on the on the bit of software and it would rip the cd encode it and then at the end spit the cd tree, cd tree out for you and you could just stick in the next one rather than having to do it all manually and that was my big rip at that point yeah i did something similar i ripped all up cds years ago over 10 12, 15 years ago, put them all on the computer. I remember doing it 
I'm trying to think, did you use Music Match Jukebox yeah. or Winamp? Because originally when they shipped the iPod for Windows, iTunes didn't exist on Windows and they used, they teamed up with Music Match Jukebox to provide the ability to sync the songs over. So you could sync on iTunes on the Mac or Music Match Jukebox on the PC. Because remember when we bought one for my brother-in-law, he was a lot younger at the time, but we had to go and get him a USB card to put in his PC so that he could actually plug the iPod in, which isn't a great present. Here's a card to stick in your computer, but he really wanted an iPod again, really into his music. But it was the things you had to do, whereas obviously that's all got so much easier. So what was your first iPod then? Talk us through your iPod history. It's quite a long and checkered history. So my first iPod was the second generation one, um, which was a FireWire device with a 10 gig hard disk. And at that point, you had to specify when you bought it. I think the f- this was the first one where it actually came to Windows as well, as you've said about the software that was there. And there was iTunes on, on Mac, which was a much better product, much simpler product than it is or what well, isn't anymore. It's also, iTunes didn't last as long as the iPod. There's a thought, you know, uh, Firewire second gen, 10 gig, did have a wheel, but it wasn't the mechanical click wheel, but you still scrolled on it and had the classic forward and back controls actually built into the click wheel as well, which changed in later generations of them. They, they were around the outside of the wheel, weren't they? They were in the outside no. of the wheel, yeah. And that iPod... I loved it to bits. I, I filled it up with music. I, I religiously put new albums on there. I, I kept it up to date. I knew it inside out. I knew the stupid little game on there that gave you the music quiz. It had a version of Breakout on it. I don't know if you remember that. It had a little version of Breakout you could play with the scroll wheel. Yeah, which I would quite often do as I, w- I was listening to um, listen to songs on it and sitting on a train or whatever it would be. It was just amazing to be able to carry that much music without skipping at all, you know, on a device as you went out and about with those iconic headphones as well. They weren't AirPods at that point, AirPods at that point. They were just the iPhone headphones. They were sort of iconic in their advertising as well. And the adverts of the day of dancers on coloured backgrounds just with the white sort of outlines of them, it sort of really stood out. And you as an iPod owner did stand out with those white headphones. They're everywhere now. Everybody puts them on their phones, but it was a big deal then. Yeah, and, well, so the adverts you're referring to, they were usually like a purple background or a green background with some silhouettes of people with white headphones on dancing around. And then there were quite a lot of reports like in America and probably in London and, and other cities of people not wearing those headphones because it drew attention that you had an expensive music player and therefore you you were a victim for you know potential mugging kind of thing. But like you, so I came in at the Gen 3 which is the one that had the, the glow in the glow red buttons across the top. So right, not being around the click wheel, which is a d- design they later changed. But I remember buying a magazine and reading a review on it. I must have read that review 10 times because I was saved up all my money to buy this thing. And then, like I say, got it ordered to your house. Um, and it came with a dock back then and you had the headphones and you had like a little remote that you could clip onto your top you plug your headphones into it. It was quite a thing. You got quite a lot with it. And then over the years, the accessories that came with it went and you ended up just getting the, just, just the iPod basically and a, and a dock cable in essence. But I loved that iPod. I listened to so much music on it. Like I said, it'd always be in my pocket. And it's interesting because it also had the hold switch on it. Like, like you get on your iPhone now with the little bit of orange so you knew if, if you'd lock, locked the controls or not. Yeah, I also had one of these third third gen iPods because my second gen one, I actually drowned. I put it in the. I, I picked up a Starbucks coffee on a services somewhere on the M42 and knocked over the Starbucks into the cup holder uh, where the iPod was, connected in some ridiculous way to the to the car stereo. I, I used to have one of these. It was well before the days of being, having Bluetooth connections or dock connections in your car or even aux connections in in those days, and I had a a little thing that went through the tape player and turned it into a radio and I had to tune the radio on the tape player onto the iPod and that's how I was streaming my music at that point. 
Yeah, so the tape player, you usually have one, you put in the tape and a cable comes out and you should plug that in the headphone socket. Or you could get an eye trip that you put in the top of your iPod and then you would tune, tune your radio to the frequency. So my second iPod was the iPod Mini. I remember buying this in silver. It didn't hold as much music, but it was the size, it was so small. And it had the click wheel where it was one wheel, but it had the buttons in it. And so you could just put push parts of the wheel um, but I bought this eye trip that goes on the top. So it just went in the headphone jack. And when you're in your car, it was like wireless car play. It was nuts. Like you, you just tune the radio station. In. It, it was amazing. So good. But then you'd drive through an area if you were going on a long trip, which had a radio station in the same place and you'd lose your music. And that was a complete pain. Oh, those were the days. eh? Those were the days. It's all coming back now. It really is. And then to, so for me, though, I had that mini. And then I remember having an iPod shuffle at some point, the first white one that came out. Because in those days, that was a relatively cheap Apple USB stick that you could also listen to music on. And then at some point, I got like a 60 or 80 gig one, which I load up with all my music. So I could put it in my car and I had one of these car stereos, just a traditional skinny car stereo, but it would show you a little picture of the album that you were listening to off your iPod. And that was it for me. And then I must have got into iPhones at that point. Yeah, the two things sort of coincided. So I also had, I had a second gen shuffle, I think. Let me get this right. There was the one, no, I had a first gen and a second gen. So the first gen shuffle was the one that looked like a bit of a stick of chewing gum, wasn't it? It had a little yep. wheel, it had a wheel, but it wasn't a mechanical wheel. You just did forwards and backs and play pause in a circle. circle. And a USB connector, USB-A connector at one end of it that you could plug in and sync. And I almost used that entirely for podcasts because I was commuting so much at that point. That's what I use for my podcast. No screen. It was quite difficult to work out what was going on with it. Now I think back, now I, think back I don't even remember what I did. To You put playlists in there and you could work your way through the playlist, but you had to remember what playlist was on there. It was a very simple device, but it was very cheap. It was, Well, it was cheap for Apple. Yeah. I think it was like that £99 sort of price that we were talking about earlier. It's cheap as relative for Apple. Yeah, but, but do you remember though? Because it was like a stick of gum. It was so chunky, it wouldn't fit in the back of all computers because it was just so, such a wide connector. If I remember correctly. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it came with a lanyard, so you could wear it like you're wearing your ID to work around your neck. Then the headphones coming out of it, if you were so inclined as well. But I, I used, I got a fair bit of use out of that, just as a portable uh, iPod to have around me, just to listen to podcasts on. It worked quite well. Back in the days when you put the podcast on iTunes and then you had to plug the device in and sync your iTunes up to that and then uh, safely eject it and then take it away and you knew you had your, your podcast with you. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting when you look on um, Wiki at, at the shuffle that it started off as a stick of gum. It then went to one with a clip on it. It then went to a really small stick of gum that you could only talk to. And then it went kind of back to a small clippy one. It's interesting, like the life it it led. And and the iPod did have this, I think, where they made a little change one year and it was like, oh, it didn't really work. And then, you know, like they could have deleted one of them in the middle and it would have looked more of a natural succession chain. So we've also got the iPod to blame for the U2 edition and us all having that U2 album stuck in our iTunes libraries as well. So for those that don't no, remember... No, 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 yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. right, is it? I think it is. Uh, maybe you're right, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it is. If it wasn't, it was... Certainly U2 was one of Steve Jobs' favourite bands and the point came where he used to invite various people on stage to perform after one of the events and he did invite U2. And be it for this particular U2 edition iPad and there weren't many edition iPads. That black and red one, I'm pretty sure, was specific for U2. iPod, sorry. Talking about iPods. was specific for U2. So it was about that sort of time that everybody had a, a gifted album from U2 on, on the iTunes store. And I think most of us who have been Apple fans for a long time do have that album kicking around. And for a long time, 
uh, one of the quirks of my iPhone now is when I'd get in a car and connect to Bluetooth, it would quite often play whatever it was at the top of the list. And for a long time, one of the songs on that U2 album was at the top of the list. I, I liked U2, but I absolutely despised that album. Yeah, so actually that album came out in 2014. I was just looking it up now. It's Songs of Innocence. But it was just really odd how they did it. it they should have just gone, it's free for everybody, but you can you need to go and click a button to opt it into your music library. But they just put it in everybody's music library, which it's a shocking thing to do. It's just really badly done. Yeah, bonkers. Yeah. My favorite iPod is, I, I know you had a mini. I had a Nano. I bought a Nano when they came out, which was a, was the first one with the color screen that I'd seen. You couldn't play any videos or anything on it yet, but you could actually see what was going on. I always wanted that one. I, I remember my friend having it, you had it, and I was like, oh, I really want it, because it was so tiny. It was tiny. It, it was a real, that's when they moved to SSDs, effectively, away from spinning hard disks, they moved to SSDs, and everybody was horrified, because the iPod Mini had been their biggest selling device for a couple of years, and then they just killed it and put the Nano in its place. I had to have one. I had a, I had a grey one, I'm pretty sure. It, 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 it came it, in black and white. It came in black and white, and then various colours beyond that. The first one was black and white, Gen 1, and then was, Gen 2 would have been different colors. You're right, it was black. God. Memory's an unreliable thing, isn't it? No, I had a black... Do you remember when that. they introduced it, though, and they go, do you know what that little pocket is for in your jeans? And they, and they pull it out of there. That's how small it was, and which was revolutionary at the time. But that's what you call courage, though, killing your biggest selling product and replacing it with something very different. But yeah. they nailed it. I mean it's a nice sort of little retrospective we're going down here, but that was truly courage, wasn't it? They knew they had something better and they just stopped the old thing and they moved to it. Didn't leave it hanging around for years on end and people complaining that it's supporting the old version. Yeah. That was courage. That's definitely courage. I don't think they're that company anymore. If they can still think they can sell the old thing for a little bit, they, they certainly still do. But that Nano was my favorite one. And then we moved on and I bought the little stubby Nano as well because it could play video. And the reason for that was I actually gave it to my youngest daughter. So at the time, we were going on long trips or something like that. I had an in-car on the back of the seats DVD player that would sit inside the car. So when you're going, you could put on Finding Nemo or whatever it was on DVD. It would stream to the seats in the back and the kids would leave you alone for the six-hour trip to Scotland. The problem being, every time you stop for petrol or something like that and turn the ignition off, the DVD player went and it would start again. And I don't know if you've ever tried advancing through a film on a dvd player behind you while you're while you're going along the motorway but it's not a lot of fun so when the nano came out despite the nano with video came out despite the fact that it had a tiny poxy little screen on it they could sit and watch videos on their ipod nanos on these long trips and control them themselves so it actually saved me a lot of time and effort and and, and angst and i've still got some hair left as a consequence because we actually could put videos on ipods which was really the beginning of of having streaming video or at least video on devices for me in the same way that it, the first iPod had become streaming music for me. So the third gen one, I think that's what you're talking about, had a 320 by 240 screen and that came out in 2007. And then weirdly, the fourth gen one came out about a year later and they swapped the screen around. So it then had a 240 by 320 screen. So they just flipped which the orientation of it. So rather than being short and wide, it became tall and thin. Surely though, the stubby, as you call it, would be much better for videos because it's, it's more of that TV format screen which at the time probably tv shows were four by three it would have been great but it's what we had and it let me get on and not you know, almost crash the car in frustration of having finding nemo playing from the beginning again with headphones <laughs> that were turned up way too loud so you know you got to do what you got to do no no i get it i get it 
Oh, the nano, though, but you look at the history of the nano and how it's changed shape over the years is quite interesting. How it started off small, got, got a bit big, got bigger, 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 and then small again, and then went really small to a little clip on one, like the sixth gen, you could clip it on your top. It was more like the shuffle we used to be. And then they went back to kind of hybrid of the iPhone design and with the touchscreen. So it's. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, that brings us sort of bang up to, not quite to date, but then 2007 and uh, the iPod Touch comes along. And that 2007 is quite significant because one child got the, so I'll back up one step. I bought an iPod Touch. I didn't, because the iPhone wasn't initially available straight out the gate, certainly in the UK. It might have been a little bit more in the States while we were waiting for it. I don't remember the exact sort of timeline, but I was going to stick with my, go on. So in the States, you could get the iPhone in the June, got announced the previous January, and we got it in the October at two minutes past six, if memory serves. Yeah, because you were probably stood in an O2 store waiting to buy it. Because you had to stand at an O2 store to yeah, buy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had decided I wasn't going to get an iPhone because the iPod Touch was everything that you wanted in a phone, except it didn't have the phone bit. So I bought an iPod Touch the day it came out in the Glasgow Apple store. Uh, and I was going to keep my Nokia, I want to say N95. I had a Nokia N95 at that point. And it did all sorts of things that the iPhone, or the iPod didn't. Had a camera, did this, it, that, you know, a lot of support. MMS was better supported on it. There were bits and pieces that were better on Nokia's at that point. So I was determined I wasn't going to buy an iPhone. So I bought an iPod Touch and I loved it to bits. I absolutely did. But then come the October, I bought an iPhone first generation when it came out as well. And my eldest daughter got the iPod Touch, which is still in her room to this day. It still turns on and still works, this original iPod Touch. And my youngest one got the iPod Nano. And that's how the video streaming would go on in the car. So I, I have a fond memory of that original iPod Touch. Yeah, I never had a Touch. Never had an iPod Touch because I... I wasn't fussed when the iPhone came out in the US. So I can't get it anyway. But as soon as I knew it was coming in the UK, done. Bought it immediately. And then I've been on an iPhone ever since. I loved it from day one. Yeah, I, I was the same. I, I wasn't going to get it, and then I did. And I didn't do the the, the six o'clock wait for the go-to store, but I did just stroll down the next day, about, about lunchtime the next day, put down my cash and got one. They had a few left in, in the go-to store in Swansea. So it worked out quite well, that. There were three of us queuing up at this tiny little place in, in the local village or town where I live, and we bought it. And I remember going to work the next day, and like, oh, well, you've got an iPhone, and bit and you, you, I remember showing it to me, like you show musical photos and they're like, what, you just touch the screen and you can f just, you know, spin through it with your finger. And it's like, yep. And it was, it was proper mind blowing. And you knew as soon as you had one of those, you knew that was the future. But I think that sort of, it was the death of the iPod as well, isn't it? Because both of us immediately went from iPods and how much we loved iPods, because we've just talked about that now. You know, we've spent the last at least 20 minutes talking about it the second the phone was on, then iPods were dead to us. So it's actually amazing that it has lasted, you know, since 2007 to 2022. There has still been an iPod of some sort in the lineup. It's quite incredible. I think they've left it around too long. I think. I think they're not good at killing old tech because they just let it wilt on the vine. It doesn't look like a current product. Same with the Apple Watch Series 3 you're selling it but you, you you must hate it if you're a salesperson selling it to somebody like no i just want the cheap one and you sell it to them and they get it and it's just like this isn't very good is it it's, so i think they've, they've got to get better at that i i agree with you i think it did hang around in the lineup too long at the same time i used to buy the argument that if you wanted a device for your kids so they could listen to music and they could do a little bit a bit of email and stuff and it didn't come with a cellular contract i could kind of see that yeah i just right. said ipad <laughs> That's what that is.
yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not doing very well with the with the saying one thing and meaning another, am I? But yeah, I think my my intent was clear. No, I I do get it, and look, I guess I'm lucky. So my children had iPads years ago, and we said to them the day they got them, they don't work outside the house, and they've never left the house because they they, they believe as they don't work, and so it's never really been it. We've never needed that mobile device, but if we did, it would have been a touch. Be an iPod Touch because you wouldn't want them taking a big 9.7 inch iPad out with them because they're going to drop it, they're going to damage it. So I do kind of get it. That's all we did for our kids, but you do want everything now though to be connected. Like everything's on the family account and all you know the music and the video, and the kids use all of that stuff and they kind of get all the music for free and they do enjoy it. So I do get why the the non connected iPads iPods died a death. I think the Touch has stayed around for too long. Yeah, maybe they've just got a bit of nostalgia in the same way that we've just spent all this time talking about it for for the device that it didn't save the company. I think it had a lot to do with keeping the company going, but between it and the iMac, the, the iMac and the iPod were really sort of the devices that made modern Apple what they are. Yeah, massively. I, I didn't save the company, but it massively propelled them to where they were and got them really into the consumer electronics space in front of not just computer nerds, but just in front of anybody who wanted to listen to music and have that cool thing. So it, it propelled them enormously. And how many Windows users look more fondly at Apple as a consequence of the iPod? Lots, I'm sure. They might hate, yeah. I, they might hate iTunes, but I iTunes. think they love their iPods. Music match jukebox trying to get your, get your tunes loaded over. But um, no, you're right. And I, I mean, I used to have my white iPod in the dock with my iMac G5 all at the same angle. It looked oh, it looked amazing, well ahead of its time. I think it's a nice little retrospective for the iPod. I'll make sure I say the right thing this time. And we can probably call it a show at that, Chris. So now they've killed the iPod, is there only two products left with i in it? Three products with i in it. So it's iMac, iPhone, and iPad, which harks back to a conversation we had a few weeks ago. Yeah, so that just needs to bring us to iGlasses and we're going to be good to go again. Well, when is it going to become the Apple phone, the Apple tablet, and the just Apple Mac? Well, I don't think they're that nostalgic about, nostalgic about stuff like that, because you think they very quickly dropped computer from Apple computer back in the day. So I think if it came to it, they'd drop iMac, they'd drop iPad. Um, you're, you're quite right. Apple tablet, I don't know what you'd call it. Apple pad. It, it It's named like that for historical reasons, but if, if push came to shove, they'd drop it in a heartbeat. Yeah, if Apple released a phone today, you know it should be called the Apple phone. Yeah. Because they're really leaning to Apple, aren't they? Yeah, and they don't need that iBranding anymore. People know what what an Apple product is. Everybody knows what an Apple product is. But you hate them and you call Apple people sheeple or, or whatever. You know what an Apple product is. Yeah, they needed the eye at the time because they were trying to reinvent themselves. They reinvented themselves and they could drop it. Yeah. And I stood for internet internet i think we're quite used to the internet these days we don't need i snapchat or i whatsapp do we we know what it is but, so. but when the iMac came out though and the ipod the internet wasn't as pre- nowhere near as prevalent as what it is now and it will always live on as podcasting isn't going to change its name anytime soon so no which is good and, that, and that's not just on an ipod is it that that managed to transcend you know all hardware manufacturers and software manufacturers yeah exactly brilliant Right, let's call it a show. Sorry, slight digression at the end. That's this more more than welcome. It's allowed. Good stuff. Perfect. Great show. All right, well, at the same time next week, we'll do it all again. And if anybody wants to get in contact with us, you can reach out 
by dropping us an email at wakefromsleepatprotonmail.com or uh, get in contact on Twitter. And our handle is WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear from you. See you next week. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Bye-bye.